This episode of Crossing Broadcast is brought to you by a new sponsor. I do and I will. Are you or someone you know planning a wedding? What if we told you that we know a company, I do and I will, that could help you save between 10 to 20% on your overall wedding costs? According to The Knot, the national average cost for a wedding is $35,000. In the Philadelphia region, that goes all the way up to $40,000 plus. I do and I will has forged powerful partnerships with companies such as Vera Wang, Southwest Airlines, Macy's, Yacht Week, Visa, Sephora, Brooks Brothers, Joseph A. Bank, Casper, Brilliant Earth, and many, many more. We're actually going to be doing a live podcast at the Valley Forge Convention Center on April 15th, where you can learn more about all the things that I do and I will can do to help save you money on a wedding. So again, if you or someone you know is in the process of planning a wedding and is interested in saving anywhere between 10 to 20% on your overall wedding costs, come on out and learn what I do and I will can do to help you. And we, of course, thank them for sponsoring the podcast. We'd also like you to check out crossingbroad.com slash Amerigas. We have extended the deadline for the Show Your Tank Tailgate Giveaway 2.0. Again, that package is worth $500. That includes a portable grill, a small patio heater, two tailgating chairs with sunshade, a hookup hose, and $200 worth of apparel from the Crossing Broad store. All you have to do is enter your name and email. That's it. So share that out to all of your friends. Uh, the Philly season is getting ready to start up. Obviously, we could possibly be looking at some possible tailgating for the Sixers and Flyers as they have a playoff run. Um, check out crossingbroad.com slash Amerigas and enter to win $500 worth of tailgating equipment. We thank Amerigas, and of course, we thank our new sponsor, I Do and I Will. Let's get on with the show. Good morning. It is a Friday. Villanova and West Virginia are fighting for their NCAA lives. The Sixers crushed the magic, and the Flyers finally won a game. It's the Crossing Broadcast. I'm Russell Joy, at Joy on Broad, joined uh, eventually by Kyle Scott of Crossing Broad, the man of Crossing Broad, joined right now by Kevin Kincaid, Sixers writer, Eagles writer, all things Crossing Broad writer. Russ, Kevin, what's up, man? Hey, uh, living living the dream this morning, um, frantically trying to put things together. Yeah, um, it is it is another morning, as uh, as they like to say. Yeah, it is another morning. I've uh, I've returned to the podcast to restore some semblance of uh, of sanity on the crossing broadcast. Um, that's because as good as it, as nice as it was to just hear you and Kyle go back and forth uh, about LeBron James for forty minutes, figured you know we got to we got to kind of use a third person here to moderate. So that's what I, I see that as my role for this this episode of the podcast. I think that's fair. Um, I went back and and here's here's the truth. Uh, it was it was funny. I enjoyed the fact that so many people were so irate on Twitter. I now understand how Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless do it. Um, we got more Twitter feedback from that one episode about that LeBron James segment yeah. than than I think we had in like the previous like five or six episodes, which is nuts. Um, most of it was hate at me for having a terrible point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then some people were kind of like, I know what Russ was saying. He said it really terribly, but I think I understand what he's saying. But listen, you still have your job, right? 
That's that's true. And you're still on the cro- you're on the next crossing broadcast talking about sports, right? That's true. So you realize that like Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and Skip Bayless and Nick Wright and Shannon Chris Sharp. Carter and Shannon Sharp, you can say whatever the hell you want to say, and it really doesn't matter because here you are back here again, you know, with no ramifications or repercussions. So that is the world. Uh, that we we live in with sports talk, you know? Yep. Um, so I, I was watching, I think it was a couple nights ago, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers went and they beat Toronto. And I was watching LeBron play. And I said, nope, I don't want him. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I watched <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I'm not trying to you sound don't want, like... You don't want him on your team. Yeah. You don't want to I'm play like, him in the playoffs. Ah, you know what? I want to build organically. <laughs> no, if you say, if you say I don't want him, I don't want to play him in the playoffs, then I would I would understand that. Oddly enough, I know this is stupid, but I, I think they actually match up pretty well against that Cleveland team. There are certain teams that I I, for, I feel like for some reason the Sixers just don't do well against. Washington's one of them, and I always feel like in our Slack chat, everybody seems to kind of put Washington down hmm. and make it seem like it would be a, a cakewalk, and I just don't see it. They've got two potentially elite guards or two all-star guards, however you want to measure them, between John Wall and Bradley Beal. Uh, Gortat plays... Embiid pretty tough defensively, even though Embiid usually gets his. Yeah. Um, and they've got like Kelly Oubre and they've got Porter and and like those pieces together seem to give the Sixers fits and it and it often feels like they can't miss. There's a, an entire quarter or two quarter stretch where they just can't miss from deep, and yeah. so that's a matchup that I want to avoid. Indiana doesn't scare me. You shut down um, Victor Oladipo, and it doesn't feel like that's that bad of a matchup. Um, do you have a preference right now as, as you've been breaking down Sixers games all year, uh, who you think they would have the most favorable matchup against in the playoffs? Yeah, no, no, I don't really have a, a preference. I think, um, you know, I, I would not want to play the Cavaliers in the first round just cause I, I don't, I don't want LeBron in the, in the playoffs. I, I know some people say that the that the other guys on that team are, are whatever, and they're kind of a cobbled together mess that's on the last legs of whatever they have as LeBron heads into free agency. But I, I still don't want to see him in the playoffs. I don't think that's how you want to introduce a young Sixers team <laughs> into the postseason. Here's LeBron. Uh, playing his hardest um, for the first time this season. Well, not to say he hasn't put them on their shoulders a little bit, but um, no, I mean, each team presents, you know, some different problems. Indiana is kind of like a weird, like, they're like a Doug Collins Sixers team, you know? Like, they don't turn it over a lot. They hit some junk, like, mid-range twos that go in. um and, you know, when, like, Oladipo and Bogdanovich aren't hitting, you're going to get, like, like the last game, like, Trevor Booker's going to give you, like, nine and eight or something, you know? Yeah. Um, Hello, so I don't know. They're just, there's a couple different styled teams in here. I don't think, where are we right now? 41, Sixers are 41 and 30. So they are the number four. The magic number is one, I guess, right? Because Detroit yep. uh, lost in overtime last night. Can't believe the that was against the Rockets, right? The Rockets needed overtime to do it. Um, so Blake yeah, decided to get Indiana up for that right game. Now. Remember, Blake? Blake uh, he's one of those guys that likes to kind of go in after uh, other would teams. You get, yeah, or no, well, it's the other you, way around. Would you get up for any game if you were a Detroit Piston right now? Um, no, I don't even know if I'd get out of bed in the morning. To There's answer the question, to to. yeah, no, no. To answer the question, no, I don't. I don't think there is a preference. You know, I, I think. Um, I, I mean, it's crazy to think that the four seeds. Uh, 
the reality right now. So if you go four or five against the Pacers or four or five against the Wizards, I think I think either one of those is is pretty ideal at this point, considering what we thought about the Sixers coming into uh, coming into the year, man. All right. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Uh, like, I guess in a in a sense, like there hasn't been any kind of a, a definite standout. I think one of the things that might be the most encouraging watching this team recently is just watching the way that they've crushed uh, lottery teams. Yeah, and it always feels like in the past, and I think it's always been kind of a Philadelphia team uh, thing. We talked about this. I think it was last Friday um, in the crossover episode with uh, you and Anthony that it just feels like oftentimes Philadelphia teams play down to the level of their opponents. And right now, sure, like sure. the last two games between uh, Memphis and Orlando, I mean, you put the game out of, out of reach realistically from, from tip off, but by the third quarter, the game was over and it, it really does look like the acquisitions of Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova mm-hmm. um, are, are more than just surface level moves. They're, they're moves that are, you know, intended on getting your starters rest, being able to hold a lead in the fourth quarter. Now, granted, they were up like 35. <laughs> they finished by, you know, with a 20 point win, but, um, you know, McCannon can't even blow that, right? No, uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny too because those you, you talk about playing down to the competition. I mean, those games, those losses against Sacramento and Phoenix, um, playing down to the Lakers too. You know, that that was a big problem for them earlier in the year. You know, so I don't know how much of it is that the team's better now, or that um, you know they they understand how to bring it every night, or you know how much of it also is that Memphis is shit and Orlando's shit, and they don't give a shit. Um, I mean, there's probably something to, to say for both of those there, but to see them be able to go out and just throw Ilyasova out there for 20 minutes and Bellinelli for 22 or 24 minutes and, you know, only have to play Embiid for 20, um, you know, going back to the beginning of the year when you had Jared Bayless and, and TLC in the rotation, you know, it's it's they've really, <laughs> you think about it, they've really come a long way, you know. I mean, I don't know if you guys talked about it on the last pod or the one before that, but most of our predictions were way off you know, at the beginning of the year as far as the win totals. I, I think probably just because none of us saw Embiid playing, like, on track to play 71 games, obviously. So, but then the yeah, counter... Have just decided that he's fine now? <laughs> Whoa, Kyle! Hey Good there. morning. Hey, fella. Oh, I How you, are you? I introduced myself, like, 10 minutes ago. Did you say hello, Clarice? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, no, you didn't okay. hear me? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we were in... We're in the middle of a of a chat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it went through. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, have we just decided that Embiid is is like not not hurt anymore? He and says just, he's fine. Do yeah, we have mean... a moment of silence for that? Actually, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's seems... do it. Moment of silence for Joel Embiid, his entire body, and every member of the 76ers roster. All right. Thank, thank you, you for that moment of silence. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Crazy, no, it's man. pretty he's, crazy. He says he wants to. Um, you know, Brett Brown was asked straight up before the game on, on Wednesday um, in the Nor'easter, pre- and post-Nor'easter, uh, you know, are you going to find a, try to find a spot to rest him uh, down the stretch? And Brett said, yeah, we wouldn't try to give him a game. You know, they've got that back-to-back where they have to go to Detroit on the 4th, I think, and then the season ends with a back-to-back away and home. So, I don't know. If the seeding is determined by then, you could do it then. But he says he wants to play every game. So, I don't blame him. Uh, important nor'easter Brett Brown question. Did he go mm. on his run before that game? Uh, I don't know, but his hair looked kind of disheveled um, at the pregame press conference, so maybe he did it. Maybe he did. Maybe he did, yeah. yeah. How uh-huh. far does he – he goes on runs before every game? I don't know this. Yeah, he's – if you listen to him when he's on 97.5, like in the morning, when he does like uh, 
Gargano's show in the morning. Like sometimes he'll be doing he'll do the radio hit while he's like running. He'll that's have impressive. like it, yeah, he'll have like his headphones in his. That's great breath control or right something. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Kevin, the uh, post that you talked about, I went and I did a few weeks ago an, an updated post on what our original predictions were, mm-hmm. just so the people out there know. Um, on this podcast, before the acquisition of uh, JJ Redick, uh, Kyle predicted forty three and thirty nine, which he said would be good enough for fifth or sixth in the East. Mm-hmm. I said at least sixth in the East. Adam said 36 and 46, 12th in the East, or best case scenario, 38 and 44, 10th in the East. Uh, writers he on the site. He also said 43 wins was not realistic. Yeah. Um, we're looking at uh, the site predictions. So, right before the season started, Kyle said 42 and 40 make the playoffs. Phil Kaidel said 40 and 42. I said 46 and 36, for mm. good enough for fifth in the East, which was stupid. Um, the placement, the wins might actually be close to right. Coggins said 42 and 40. Bob said 43 and 39, seventh and east. Chris said 42 and 40, seventh and east. Uh, Investor Mike said 40 and 42 for ninth, that they would have their hearts broken on the final night of the season. And Jeff said, Investor Jeff said 43 and 39, good enough for sixth in the east. We're all in the same, like, general vicinity. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of it, to your point, was... Nobody ever imagined that Embiid was going to play close to 70 games. Especially, like, I, I think if you had come into the season saying, guaranteed 60-plus games and playing back-to-backs by the time the playoffs roll around, I think anybody would have taken that. Yeah, well, here's the thing, too, is that you have to, you know, there's a push and pull of now giving him some days off down the stretch. Because he, he said straight up after the game in the locker room the other night that he feels like when he has a day off or two days off, um, he loses, like, conditioning and kind of rhythm and focus, you know? And Brett Brown said the same thing. He said that, you know, they're trying to take that into account, that you don't want to let a guy get rusty. You know, he said, going back to some of his days with, um, with the Spurs, with more of the senior players, that they didn't really like taking days off because they felt like they lost, like, their their form, you know, and, like, they kind of got out of a rhythm. So, but, but the thing to consider is that you have 11 games left and you have two back-to-backs in those 11 games, right? When they get into the playoffs, and then I wrote about this yesterday, they're probably going to have like two days between game one and two, probably maybe two two games between two days between games two and three. Um, you know, I remember that seven game series with the Jazz and with the Clippers last year. And we should ask JJ about this the next time, but it took like almost three weeks to play a seven game series, so he's going to have time off inside of the, the playoffs too you know so it's it's more about as Brett Brown would say delivering him to the playoffs healthy enough but I mean he doesn't have any injuries the wrist looks like it's fine the back looks like it's fine so I, I don't know I don't think he really needs rest you know he's gonna get rest once they get there so you know it's that that push and pull concept of like you know yeah maybe we can give him a day off or like do the load management or whatever but you know when he gets there it's not like they're gonna be on a plane to Denver, up to Portland, then down to Phoenix. It's going to be two games in Philly, fly to Indy, play two games in Indy, fly back. So it's not like there's going to be a ton asked of him once they get there, you know? Yeah. Um, I think we're now in a spot. Uh, we have enough time for Crossing Broad Bowl. So tonight's matchup between Villanova and West Virginia has been a polarizing debate in Slack. I don't actually mean that. Um, <laughs> it's been very peaceful, where, actually. 
where I, I feel like um, each of you need to make a case for your respective universities. Uh, West Virginia, where were they, a five seed, right? Fifth seed? Yeah, five seed. Um, and, of course, Villanova is a number one seed. Going into this matchup, looking for a berth in the Elite Eight. Uh, I'm going to uh, play the role of mediator, which will be fun. Um, in one corner, we've got Kevin Kincaid representing West Virginia. And in the other corner, we've got <laughs> Kyle Scott representing the pride of Villanova. Uh, well, I gentlemen, will say this. It is, it is much easier to make the Villanova case this week. So I, I come at this from a position of strength. Um, and I actually find it very difficult to hate West Virginia, mostly because despite the fact that they tormented me as a Villanova fan, the Kevin Pitsnoggle, Mike Gansey squads of <laughs> yesteryear uh, were excellent to watch. And I spent five minutes watching a uh, SI.com recap of uh, West Virginia beating uh, Chris Paul yesterday, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, Crab, was it you who sent me the pixel of Kevin Pitsnoggle now? Oh, he's huge, man. Are you? Who, I was looking for that yesterday. I looked in through my email. I thought it was like a tip or something. Was that you? Yeah. Because if it is, we should post that. Today seems like a great day to bust that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll find it. It's like he's a he moved back to like the uh, the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. <laughs> he, after he went, he went, he went into the draft. I think he ended up with like the like Pittsburgh's like D League team or something. And he had like a two year. Uh, like minor league NBA, so he's never player. actually left that whole West Virginia Pittsburgh like little <laughs> no. little bookend there. No, yeah. no, not at all. He moved back to the Panhandle, and he's a, I think he's a school teacher now. So I, yeah, I found a picture of him wearing like a flannel shirt, and he's like three hundred pounds now. So uh, yeah, still we, has all the tattoos though. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. see if there's a picture of Mike Gancy still wearing a two XL T-shirt. So <laughs> yeah, right. You know, what Mike Mike Gansey is doing right now. Mike Gansey yeah. is. Um, an assistant general manager with um, either the Cleveland Cavaliers or one of their affiliates or something like that. Really? Yeah, he's doing well for him. So he, he's from Ohio. He, he's an Ohio native, so I think that's what he ended up. He had probably the same NBA career as Pitsnoggle did, which is to say he didn't really have a career at all. I think he did like, yeah. an, like a couple D-League teams or something. But he's involved with the Cavaliers uh, yeah, assistant yeah. GM, assistant GM of the Cavs. No yeah. kidding. Yeah, there you go. How That's about a small that? world, man. Yeah, how about that? And yeah. John Beeline, as you well know, well, is yeah. now in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I am very thankful. Like, that's the thing that was giving me hope. When I see West Virginia, I get that immediate like cringe, like, oh, Christ, Beeline. But he's been so long gone that I should probably just stop <laughs> feeling that way. Yeah. Bob Huggins is a great coach, but Beeline scares the my, – my memories are of the uh, Big East – tournament in 2005 mm-hmm. i think four four or five, five when uh, villanova was the, the the i think the favorites and they played on a friday night and west virginia uh, beat them mercifully there was a foul call that didn't go allen ways ray or allen ray fouled mike gansey in the final moments mm-hmm. uh on a ticky tack foul so that your team has always tormented me for the through the years. Well, those were the years of like, I mean, no disrespect to what the Big East is now, because I think the conference has done quite well for itself, you know, in the new landscape of college basketball. But I mean, there was a time there for a chunk of like five or seven years where, you know, it was we had turned a corner and we were competitive. Now, um, UConn was UConn, Pitt, Villanova, Syracuse, Georgetown. 
and then Louisville and Cincinnati and like Marquette came in. I mean, for for that chunk of those years, I mean, the Big East was was untouched, you know. And there were talks every single time the spring came around: Are they going to get nine teams in? Are they going to get ten teams in? Um, you know, it was fun to watch, you know. And that's why I like speak so fondly of it, not out of disrespect to what the Big East is now, but because I remember like. You know, when I was coming out of college, I think you and I were probably around the same time. That I mean, the conference was the the best um, at that point in time. So, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it was incredible, and it was people would still argue then the ACC was better, and it may have been. It may mm. have been. It may have been a little more like uh, Russ. You'll appreciate this: the EPL versus uh, La Liga, mm. where <laughs> you have. Thank you, thank you like, for that. The Big East is was pretty much from top to bottom really competitive, but there was probably a few more top heavy teams in UNC and Duke uh, perennially in in the ACC. That said, UConn has a couple of national championships. Syracuse was well, they got one a little bit before. Well, you know, right around the time the Big East was was at its apex. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every team which and then the ESPN contract and all the games, most of the games being on ESPN and all that stuff that was. That was a big part of it as well. So I have, I think Villanova is probably like six or seven points better than West Virginia. I'd, I'd say it's probably like a, like a seventy-two to sixty-three, seventy-two to sixty-four kind of game. Um, you know, because Huggins, I mean, you mentioned John Beeline. Huggins and Beeline couldn't be more opposite of, of, of coaches. You know, um, yeah. What, what Bob Huggins does is he recruits JUCO transfers and you know, underrated three-star guys, and he puts them in his full-court press, and we're going to play defense, but we can't shoot for shit system, you know? So I've kind of been down. I mean, I'm I'm happy that West Virginia is relevant and competitive every year, but I've seen the ceiling of a Bob Huggins team, and it's once you face a Villanova or a Duke in the Final Four or you run into Gonzaga last year, is that we, we just don't have the horses offensively to compete with the better teams in the country. Um and that's, you know, when your best offense is creating turnovers uh, or missing your first shot and then getting offensive rebounds and crashing the glass and getting putback points, it doesn't, it doesn't work against a team like Villanova who has Jalen Brunson and Bridges and DiVincenzo, you know, guys who are good ball handlers um, who aren't going to get phased, you know, by a full-court press, who are going to break the press, and then they're going to find one of those guys open in the corner for a three – you, know, you hit a couple of those, and all of a sudden your whole game plan falls apart. And then you get into this half-court slugfest with Villanova, and they're the better scoring team. Uh, yeah, I just see it playing out in a very like linear kind of way. I I would imagine that a team like Nova, while you're always – any team who presses like that, and I remember when we used to play Louisville a lot, and it would always be like, oh, you know, get ready for their – get ready for their three-quarter court thing. Yeah. But, like, you have to think if you're West Virginia going up against a team that has, um, you know, superior guards and just a, a rotation of players that can handle the ball with the sort of, um, you know, and pass with the crispness that Villanova <laughs> does and hit threes, like, that's got to be the worst matchup for West Virginia because you're playing a team with, the you know, the best ball-handling guard in the country and a stable of other reliable guards. And, oh, by the way, once they get down there, they can kick it out to literally anybody on the team who can hit a three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the um, you know, a good example was a couple years ago, we got into the Sweet 16, and this was when Kentucky was undefeated, still undefeated at the time. Um, and one of our idiot players came out and said that we were going to 
beat Kentucky and it was going to be their only their first and only loss of the season, right? And Kentucky went out and beat us like 70 to like 31 or something. And uh, it was just like you saw the difference in athleticism. They didn't even have great ball handling. Right? I think their point guard at the time was that Harrison kid who would play who played for Memphis the other night against the Sixers. Um, but they just looked like adults out there. And when the gimmick Bob Huggins system is working, it looks amazing. And Marshall turns the ball over 25 times or whatever it was the other night, and you beat them by 30. And when it's not working, you look like shit, and you can't do anything, and the other team beats you by 30, you know? So it, it's weird that there was a point in the season where Villanova and West Virginia, I think, were number one and two in the country. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, I, you know, I, I see there's a, I think there's a big gap between number one and two. But if you're neutral and you're listening to the conversation, you're saying, oh, I don't give a shit about either team, really, watch the game just for the Jalen Brunson, Javon Carter matchup. Um, it's two of the best point guards in the country, um, both who will be like, you know, NBA pro radar kind of guys. It's just going to be enjoyable for, for that reason alone. Whether you give a crap about anything, anything else, <laughs> it's fine. But just tune in but, and watch those two guys play. But Kevin, what about a uh, future NBA all-star in the mind of Kyle Scott, Dante DiVincenzo? <laughs> you mean Bridges? No, no, no. Oh, he, I mean, Divincenzo. he thinks he thinks Divincenzo's got a real uh, NBA future ahead of him. I haven't not seen this him year. Yeah. By the way, um, I I ran Tankathon uh, right before we got started, and the Sixers uh, would have gotten the Lakers pick at number ten, which I think is somewhere around where Michael Bridges will be taken. So, Kyle, I don't know if there's anything that would get you more excited as a Sixers and Nova fan than seeing him play for the Sixers, but uh, uh, signing Kyle Lowry probably would have, but. Yeah, it would be a close. Uh, don't forget, Malik Wayans was on the Sixers once upon oh a time God. for yeah, a week. Yeah, yeah. He, he was That's a, a uh, yeah, he was. I actually got into it with him on Twitter. He must have been like searching his own name a couple of years ago because uh, I tweeted something about how there was like a three year stretch where, where Jay Wright is admitted to sort of believing in his own success and recruiting guys who probably he wouldn't have recruited previously who were maybe more talented but didn't really fit the Villanova system and style of defense first and you know and then then you could do whatever you want on the offensive end and Wayans and Dom Cheek were were definitely two of those guys so Wayans bounced after uh, earlier than he should have I believe I can't even remember Uh, and he 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 kicked around in the NBA for like a week Um, I always remember on his Facebook or I get Twitter at the time while he was at Nova he had a or his MySpace maybe it's MySpace yeah. he had a line in there uh destined for the NBA or at Nova till I get my game right for the NBA and that always stuck with me it was like yeah that dude's not whatever but DiVincenzo I just feel like he's got he's got more athleticism than um than Brunson certainly um and he's two years younger and he just plays a different style. Like he plays a style of game that would translate to the NBA. Whereas I feel like Brunson is good enough to probably get in the league and play. Um, but I'm just not sure he's athletic enough to excel. Whereas Bridges definitely will uh, once he puts on like 20 pounds of muscle. So real quick um, on the other side of the bracket. Um, and I didn't really get to, I mean the flyers, I was at the flyers game. I was watching the Sixers game at the flyers game last night. And so all the tournament games kind of went under the radar, but the winners were Florida state, Loyola, Chicago, uh, Kansas state, beat Kentucky <laughs> and Michigan beat Texas. That side of the bracket's a mess, man. I mean, it looks like beeline's going to be in the, uh, in the championship game, 
I believe I had them up to the Elite Eight. I'm not sure how far I took them. Because they got um, they're he, on the Florida it's Florida State Michigan in the next round three nine and then uh, Loyola Chicago and Kansas State for the final four. Believe it or not, my bracket is in shambles, and I'm not trying to uh, certainly brag about it. I'm pretty sure I have Florida State Michigan, and I'm pretty sure I have Michigan winning. There you That's go. That's the only one where yeah, and then I'm, I have Virginia in the final, which you know blows. Tell you what, man, the, if Kansas, um, if Kansas, Kansas State if Kansas State goes further than Kansas in the tournament, that's going to just you know put in just end it you know for for the Jayhawks, man. Their 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 fans are like insufferable as it is already. So I would love to uh, I love to that see that whole them. state will be turned upside down. They're going to start sleeping with their sisters instead of their that's right uh, yes the the fighting bruce webbers will go far further than the uh bill self's uh small ball team so it'd be a shame we might have Real just shame. lost our three listeners in kansas with that comment. Oh, sorry guys sorry while you uh well i could make that west virginia joke but i wasn't mm-hmm. gonna do yeah it. well you know he's um, you know go ahead real quick while we're on the coaches uh before moving on um there was an article yesterday by bob ford speculate it was the annual jay wright's leaving villanova article that we've we've come to know and love mm. um and it it comes out every year villanova's good why does jay wright want to be there he's gonna leave and um occasionally maybe there's something to it or or a the way mike sealski would handle this article is he'd make the beginning uh real incisive and then basically just settle on yeah but jay's happy so he's going to stay at villanova sort of thing yeah um bob four really didn't do that it was just it was just like the most um old manny style sports column you'll ever read uh jay's good he can make more money in the nba or at a school like kentucky who knows he's probably always thinking the end and it was super useless and i took the time to speak to a, a few people and Besides just my own immediate reaction was, this is complete bullshit. And uh, their reaction was pretty much, this is complete bullshit. And, um, you know, two things people don't realize, and I, we don't have to go down a, a wormhole on this, but two things people don't realize is, one, he's, he's not leaving for another college at this point. I mean, maybe there was a point six, seven plus years ago where you maybe could have made that case. He has... He is doing at Villanova what Coach K did at Duke uh, or what Jim Calhoun did at UConn. And and Nova probably started from a better point, certainly, than UConn, than when Calhoun inherited it. Um, but he is turning them into a, a perennial top-five team, uh, a team with a, who plays every game on national TV. And as we've talked about before, you know, you could probably name right now, gun to your head, uh, maybe you even could, Russ, because you hate ba- college basketball, but more college coaches than NBA coaches. And your career earnings potential and your quote-unquote fame potential, sports fame potential, is still probably higher as a college coach unless you are one of the top two or three NBA coaches in the league. Um, Your earnings potential is a little bit different there. Um, But he's not leaving for another school. They built built him a professional-level practice facility. Uh, there's like a 50 to $100 million renovation of the pavilion. I don't think those things get done if a coach may jump for a bigger school. Um, you know, he puts himself in the contention every year of Villanova. And, oh, by the way, he's the most powerful person on that campus. Uh, nowhere else did he go would he have the sort of pull uh, that that he would have at Villanova. Like his name will be on the court someday. Um, 
he's more powerful than the school president. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. Uh, he can recruit his type of players, and no one questions it. And then he can control every aspect of their lives, which he does. And again, can't do that at some of the bigger schools, let alone the NBA. Mm. So the NBA question comes up, and he's sort of publicly admitted that he would he would consider it. And both of his kids are, I guess, heading off to college. So you know, now's kind of the time if he wanted to do that. But uh, there's still that question, and the consensus I got was there's still that question of control. And in the NBA, you got five bosses to appease, and he's got maybe the sweetest gig on the planet, you know, working at a school where he could basically just work until for the next 20 years, and he decides to retire, and no one will ever tell him what to do and or question him. Um, You know, given the amount of success he has, he has so much runway. Like, why would you want to leave that for a quick money grab that could go sideways on a bad team? And next thing you know, you're, you know, you're every other college coach besides Billy Donovan or something like that uh, to not find success in the NBA. So there's only one there's only one scenario I think that he looks at leaving for. Um, And like, obviously, I think the Sixers are are out of that now. just by virtue of them likely continuing to improve and um, not really having a reason to fire Brett Brown, um, I think it would be the Knicks. Um, and and the only thing that I'll say on it is the Knicks are likely going to have another top ten pick this year to go with Porzingis. They probably won't be good for another year or so, so they might get another lottery pick out of it. They're an, always an attractive free agent destination. And he has always spoken really glowingly about getting to play the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden and always raves about that arena. And honestly, who wouldn't? Hey, you doing um, your in college those, basketball those... research. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I think that the Knicks make a lot of sense. And I think he kind of fits in. Like, you just think about the suits and you think about um, just I, I think he would rise to the occasion. A lot of guys, including Jeff Hornacek, who's now the coach of the Knicks, I think have kind of gotten uh, they've like found themselves. Um, with the weight of the world on their shoulders, expect you know. Um, I just think Jay would I, well, would step well, yeah, up. And, I think he would step also, up, and I think he would do a great job. So it's a tough it's a tough gig. It's a very high profile job. I don't see him going west to like say the Lakers and and taking them over. Um, if you're going to go into the NBA, you want to go someplace where players want to go. That's part of how you you know kind of increase your shelf life in the league. And the Knicks are a premier. You know, destination, especially with Porzingis as a, uh, you know, a, a building piece, a, a franchise cornerstone going forward. Well, in one respect, I agree with you. In the other respect, I mean, you know, name the last five Knicks coaches, right? Um, Hornacek, t- Phil Jackson. Uh, no, Phil Jackson didn't coach them. Right. Dang. It's a, yeah. it's he just a fell point, asleep point in is, the stands. Point is, it's yeah. a tough place. So I agree with you. He, I mean, he used to coast at Hofstra. I mean, he is every bit as, you know... It, he probably spends almost as much time in New York as he does in Philly. So I, that's reasonable. The Sixers are, you know, Brett Brown is, is around to stay for sure now. But, I mean, they actually would have been a, a pretty good scenario for him. You know, never mind the fact that they're local. Um, you know, their president and CEO are both Nova guys. Um, they have a team that you could argue, you know, kind of wants to play an, an open shoot-to-three style. It's It's not – Certainly not identical to what Villanova does, but there's some similarities there in terms of philosophy. Um, I, and I, I think he would consider certain NBA jobs or at least answer a phone call. Um, he's big into USA basketball um, and has a relationship with at least Brian Colangelo. And also, I'm sure, you know, they go hand in hand. So also Jerry. 
But again, it, I I think it it largely comes back to the control thing. He is he is a control freak, and and uh, some folks I talked to yesterday really hammered that point home that like it's not just with his players; it's with you know he can he is a control freak just generally, and being at Nova allows him to control every single aspect of the program. He can do what he wants, and you know he's been wildly successful doing it. So no one no one questions him. Uh, the NBA it's it's a lot more difficult both with your players. You know you can't he takes his players' phones away ten thirty the night before. He is more strict than most college coaches even and you can't get away with that in in the nba and i think that's always a problem with college coaches going to the pros in in either basketball or football and you know top down you also have bosses to answer to in the nba so it would have to be the perfect situation and I, i think the sixers situation may have been good enough to to warrant a conversation but obviously that's not going to be the case right now so i think he i think he sticks around college because he's just got He's got such a sweet gig, but the, regardless, the column that was written was it was just completely useless, and it was based on nothing, and it was it was really honestly a like just a an example of just the terrible state of sports columnary. It was like, well, got to write something today, base it on absolutely nothing, and just eject this out into the ether. Well, all right, um, there is uh, a, a couple things really quick before we wrap up. Uh, Jake Arrieta made his. Um, his spring training debut yesterday hit 95 on the gun. Um, 22 of his 31 pitches were for strikes. Um, he, he had a strikeout, I think, against his first hitter. Um, that was an exciting. That was an exciting um, scene to see. And the Eagles picked up Mike Wallace to fill the Tory Smith role, presumably on a two and a half million dollar deal. Um, interesting note, I guess, in this is that Howie Roseman once again uh, is fantastic at, at being a, an NFL GM. He got rid of Torrey Smith and what was going to be a potential $5 million cap hit, cut that salary in half, and acquired a cornerback in a trade. So is is there anything he can't do at this point? It's good stuff out of you, Russ. Listen, the last right. the last five Knicks coaches were Kurt Rambis, Derek Fisher, Mike Woodson, Mike D'Antoni, and Isaiah Thomas. God, I forgot Mike and if you even Tony if you even go one farther back, that was the good old Larry Brown time, <laughs> where he went twenty three and fifty nine in his one season as the uh, yeah. the Knicks coach. Feels like a good uh, good spot to cut it off right there before we get too deep into the New York Knicks. Oh, by the way, uh, Rick Buecher, this is for you. the uh, The Knicks were eliminated from playoff contention, and the Sixers are probably going to finish with home court advantage. So, uh, you know, I know that you said to trust a process, and you trust the Knicks process, but uh, wrong. Wait, R- Russ, your uh, your your Mike Wallace point. Um, we got to go. I got to I got to yeah, edit okay. this and put it up before I go to work. Okay, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about Mike Wallace on Monday. It's gr- is that great okay? signing? It's a great signing. It is a great signing. Classic how we move, and it, it's the Tory Smith Redux. Well done. Yep, it's beautiful. Uh, this has been Crossing Broadcast. Uh, don't forget to go on to uh, iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Tell a few friends. Uh, check out the website all weekend for good content. Next week, we'll likely be um, hopefully rolling out all of the other shows as part of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. That includes Snow the Goalie, a hockey show, uh, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, uh, Crossing Broad FC, a soccer podcast, and of course, Kevin Kincaid's It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. <laughs> Right. has now moved under the umbrella That's of the right. Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, we'll hopefully roll out an announcement about that next week. Be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again on Monday. Peace.